Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh caught the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the laws of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is God's word. Thank you, Melissa, for reading God's word for us this morning. I am deeply encouraged by Melissa. Some of you may know that she was just baptized this past Easter. You may not know she lives in fear of speaking in public, and yet so great is her love for her Savior and her desire to serve. She stood before us today with God's Word. Bless you, sister, for this. I want to remind you that we have embarked on a new mini-series on the church Last week, you may recall, Pastor Eugene led us in the church and the gospel. Now, I think it's important to remind us that we do have some aims, a purpose for this study. First, we want to deepen our understanding of what is a healthy New Testament church. There are all manner of New Testament churches. Not all are healthy. We want to deepen our understanding of what God's expectation is for us as his church. We want to discuss and know better what his design is for us as his people, how he desires us to live. And for that matter, if you've come to this church very long, you realize we as pastors talk a lot about the gospel, gospel centered, gospel this, gospel that. We want to deepen our understanding of what it means to embrace the gospel and also to live for the gospel and we want to be also encouraging a mentality of every member ministering. This is what Melissa has modeled for us today. We are not all great talents. I am not a great talent, and yet God gifts us all with gifts from His Spirit, gifts we didn't get from our parents or from our heritage, 
gifts that in his grace and mercy he planted in us for his pleasure and to build up his church. So we also finally want to talk about how do we expand the gospel? What is our obligation to mission? Why is it that we exist at all? Is it just so that we could have this little, you know, pond of blessing or has God called us for more and we believe it is the latter? You know, uh, Sherry and I came uh, not the first time, but as missionaries, we landed in Malaysia in 1993 and were invited to our first mission meeting of the IMB that was meeting in Golden Sands. Some of you know that in Port Dixon. We met there once a year to celebrate together as a mission family, Malaysia and Singapore. In those days, no aircon. Uh, the food was awesome. This was our first ever mission meeting in Southeast Asia, and they always met the first weekend of July so that all of the Americans could celebrate Independence Day and sing the national anthem together, be reminded from which country they came. And Americans are very sensitive, right? So because Sherry and I, our first time there, coming from Canada, this very sensitive missionary found the music for the Canadian national anthem and began to play it suddenly. Invited everybody to stand because Ian and Sherry are here from Canada. We want to invite Ian to come and lead us in the Canadian national anthem, which was really awkward for me. Because I, I don't know if Canadians are just not very good at this, but I, I stood up in front of all these lovely missionaries and I sang as much of O Canada that I knew, which was O Canada. Na, 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 na. And then she just played the rest. I, I don't remember as a child ever singing the national anthem in school. They didn't gather us to sing the national anthem. What I do remember is once a year, on the 11th of November, the entire school would gather, either in the gymnasium or if the weather was nice, out in the open field, and we were called to remember we would stand in silence for two minutes, and then we would say together the remembering poem. Now, if you're here in Singapore, you probably, because you're a part of the Commonwealth, you know that that is called Remembrance Day. Americans call it Veterans Day. I think in Europe it's called Armistice Day. It is the day that we remember. A Lieutenant Colonel John McRae was a Canadian soldier, an officer, and a surgeon in what we call the Great War, World War I. He served in the bloodiest battlefield our nation had ever known. In fact, fully one quarter of all Canadians who died in World War I died in this place, in the Netherlands, or sorry, in Belgium. In uh, 1917, he was fighting a cough that would later lead to pneumonia and finally took his life. And he wrote this poem, remembering the Canadians, but not just the Canadians, remembering that between 1916 and 1918, one million soldiers, just get your head around that, one million soldiers from over 50 nations gave their lives, thousands who were never found in this battlefield. This is that poem. In Flanders' fields the poppies blow, between the crosses row on row that mark our place 
And in the sky, the larks still bravely singing fly. Scarce heard amid the guns below, we are the dead. Short days ago, we lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow. We loved, were loved, and now we lie in Flanders fields. We were called by our nation's founders to remember the price that was paid by others who died so that we could live. We were called to remember the price paid for peace and liberty and life. In our text this morning, the Apostle Paul is addressing a second generation of believers who seem to be forgetting the price the first generation paid for their life, for their liberty, for their hope in God for life eternal. And so this is our outline this morning. It is a simple gospel sentence. Remember the price paid for peace to grant us citizenship and make us family. As we speak today on the church gathered, let's join our hearts in prayer. Uh, Father God, we have arrived this morning with hearts full of clutter. We didn't pick it up intentionally, but this week our ears were exposed, our eyes and hearts were exposed to much difficult, heartbreaking, bad news. And so some of us have come with anxiety, filled with worry. We lay awake wondering about things that we cannot control. And so I pray that in this holy moment, just for these few moments, you would calm our hearts. Give us clear heads and hearts that we might hear from you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this message begins with remember, verses 11 and 12. The Apostle Paul is reminding the people who were gathering in this church in the city of Ephesus Remember, this is not unique to the New Testament believers. It was also present in the Old Testament. The people of God were consistently reminded in every generation to remember, lest you forget, remember all that God has done to look after you, to rescue you. Remember this God. In Exodus chapter 13, Moses, in this sermon to his people, said this, remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. And then in Numbers chapter 15, he says, remember all the commandments of the Lord. Remember to do them and not to follow after your own hearts and your own eyes. Deuteronomy 5, he writes, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. This is for every generation. I sometimes wonder, here in Singapore, if my generation, the second generation, if many of your generation, the third generation of Singaporeans remember. We, we have people sitting in our building right now who couldn't afford a mattress to sleep on. 
One of our church members one time about nine years ago was driving me around Tempanese, and I just happened to mention to him, you know, I bet you enjoyed riding about here when it was just a kampong. He said, oh, but pastor, I could not afford a bike. I wonder if we've forgotten the price that the founders of this nation paid, the pioneers. I wonder of us how many of us remember what it might have been like for the first generation of GBC members after the big departure, showing up in church, looking around, seeing all the empty pews, all the young people gone, and wondering, will we survive this? We have an obligation to remember the courage of that first generation because of their strong faith in a mighty saving God we have opportunity to bring him glory today we are called to remember and so the Apostle Paul in verse 11 says this therefore remember from where you came therefore remember that therefore doesn't just refer to the one preceding verse 10 of verse 11 it, it refers to the entire section from which Pastor Eugene preached last week. Remember he said, we were created by the gospel and for the gospel. Remember, therefore, secondly, that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. Paul is intentionally using a pejorative term. For all of us here, and for most of those who were in the church at Ephesus, non-Jews, a generation of Gentiles who had been found by Christ, remember, you were at one time called the uncircumcision. This is a racist term in our Bible. It literally means, you unclean ones, said by the clean ones, and that's why in the Jewish faith, only Gentiles are baptized to wash symbolically their Gentileness, their uncleanness, so they can be clean enough to hang around with the clean people. Remember, that was your state. You were the object of derision and name-calling. This we ought to remember. But notice he also said, this is a sign made in the flesh by hands, acknowledging that these things that we do that we call religious edicts are only man-made things that do not in any way bring spiritual blessing. Because in Galatians 5, he says this, for in Christ Jesus, remember this is the most important designation for what we call Christians today. He didn't use that term Christians because that too is a pejorative term. Oh, you're a little Messiah. That's what Christian means. You're a little Messiah. You think you can save me, save the world, you little Messiah. What he used was the term in Christ, in Jesus, in the Lord, in him, 96 times. When we are found in him, everything changes. In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for what? Anything. But only faith working through love. Remember, it doesn't count for anything. So remember first from where you came. Remember from what you came. In verse 12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. You were in a state of spiritual disconnect. 
you were half human, not fully human as God designed you to be. Fully human means full of the divine, the one who created us as he designed us to be. You were partial. You were disconnected. There was great distance between you and the life-giving liberator. Remember that. And second, remember you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, meaning you were migrants. You had no right of citizenship, no strength of community. You were on your own, strangers to the covenant of promise. You knew nothing of the blessing of belonging. You were spiritual orphans meaning there was no one in your world who cared for you. Remember that. And here's the result, the last part of verse 12. You had no hope and no God in the world. Knowing nothing of God, you lived life enslaved to everything else that is not God. This is what Paul writes in Galatians chapter 4, verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. We often use a term for God's glory and our good. God is glorified in our good. Is there anyone in your world, your supervisor, looks out for your good? because this brings him pleasure or her pleasure? Is there anyone in your world that you are bonded to who is not God? Remember that feeling. These second-gen Christians, and they were emerging in that Ephesian church. They're in our church. We have a tendency to forget. My parents were the first in both of their families to embrace Christ. My mom's family, who were all communists, totally rejected her, took her out of the will. My father's family were Presbyterians because they came from Scotland. But my father's generation was a generation that left church because you're an immigrant. Salvation comes through hard work, not wasting time in a church building. Remember the sacrifices they made so that you might know Christ. Second, remember the price paid for peace, verses 13 through 16. Just like last week, you know, if we stop here, so far it's not really good news. It's not really the gospel if we, if we just stop right here. Those second-generation Christians had to be reminded. Remember the, the illustration Eugene gave last week of the v black velvet and the buying a diamond? That really resonated in my heart because when Sherry and I were married, I, I needed that black velvet to, so, so that the little bit of diamond dust that I was going to put on her ring would show up. I appreciate the black velvet because that little tiny chip sparkled against the black velvet. Once it was on the ring, Hard to see. So, so far, this feels like the black velvet. And, and it's not good news unless there's something following. Un, un, unless there's this 
amazing, like, connection. This beautiful, contrasting conjunction, which is in verse 13, but now. Back then, remember this. Remember your state. Remember where you were from. But now, again, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near Do you know there's a reason why if you go to Flanders Fields in Belgium today, there are crosses there? It's not just to mark the supposed religion of those who died. It's to remember someone sacrificed something here. Somebody died so you could live. Somebody gave everything so you could have something. This is what we remember in the cross. Remember the price Christ paid for peace. Verses 14 and 15 begins this way, for he himself is our peace. He has made us both one. Now, this is my last Sunday, so I'm going to say this, and then I'll be out of dodge, and you might be angry, but Pastor Eugene is very tender. He'll, he'll listen to you. <clears throat> I've been in this church almost 10 years, Sherry and I. And from almost the moment we showed up, I've been hearing this. These pastors got to work to bring us unity. In fact, I was invited to preach at a church camp, right? And the theme was unity. Let's be clear. No pastor, no elder, no director brings unity. Unity is something Christ does. He has made us one. Only Christ has the power to bring unity. But a church that is passionate for his good news will work to maintain unity. So so we need to ask ourselves every week, how are we doing maintaining the unity that Christ paid for? What are we doing in our speech, in our behaviors, to act like that unity was bought with a great price? Jesus made us both one. He satisfied all the requirements. He paid all the debts in order to normalize our relationship, a broken, rebellious people, and a holy, perfect God. Peace to you who were far off, he says, and peace who were near. This is the spiritual orientation. The, the spiritual orientation is this, Jerusalem. Because in Jerusalem was what? The temple. In the temple was what? The Holy of Holies. In the Holy of Holies was what? The throbbing, powerful, holy, Shekinah glory of God. If you're near, you're a citizen of Jerusalem. If you're far, you're an outsider. Jesus came to bring peace. I jumped about a mile in my message, and now I'm going to go back. So, you guys, AV, it's not your fault. Come on, bless you, bro. <laughs> Jesus has broken down this wall of hostility in his own flesh. And, and that wall doesn't just refer to border walls to keep aliens out of our country. It refers to a border or a temple banister, much like that 
that's separating Ollie from the rest of the congregation. That was all around the inner sanctum of the temple to keep outsiders out and Jews in. Only Jews could go beyond that. This collection of Jewish people here just celebrating being insiders. But Jesus broke it down so that we all have access. Both insiders and outsiders have access. He abolished the law of commandments contained, expressed in the ordinances. Not that he abolished the law, but that he abolished the judicial consequences of the law by satisfying the requirements of it in his own flesh. This is why Jesus couldn't just die a peaceful death like every other great religious leader. He was beaten by the wrath of God. He was bruised and bloodied by the holy wrath of a righteous judge for our sakes. To bring those who are far and those who are near together, Jesus did this. So as Eugene shared with us last week, listen to this. That he might create himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. Therefore, killing. The word in Greek is slaughtering hostility. You remember Eugene talked about how God found us disparate and disconnected and gathered us. Not that he raised Gentiles up to the level of Jews. Not that we are suddenly just as good as Jews, but he took two disparate, disconnected parts and made us better than either of us had ever been before because his goal on the cross is not to help us be self-improved. His goal is to reshape us into his image. This he did on the cross. Tertullian, who was a second-century Christian apologist and theologian, born in what is now modern-day Tunisia, put it this way, Christ has produced the better. As if one should melt down one statue of silver and the other of lead, and the two together should become gold, that is what Christ has done in us and for us. Third, he did this not only to bring peace, but to grant us citizenship. I, I have this fear that in this day of growing global nationalism, this is going to be a difficult truth for some of us. Because the news and our culture and our fears have constantly cultivated this growing anxiety that we feel toward others who are not us. We see them in our streets, we read about them, we feel anxiety and worry, and yes, sometimes we even feel animosity. Verse 17 says this, he came and preached peace. That word preached, if we were going to translate it literally, would be he gospeled. Preaching is gospeling, meaning he came and proclaimed peace, announced peace by the word of his power. He was creator God. How did he work? By speaking he worked. 
By the word of his power he created. He came and spoke peace into my heart when there was nothing but dark emptiness. He speaks peace into the hearts of those who are near and to the hearts of those who are far. It is something that I have no capacity to do as your pastor. In, in fact, some of you know we're staying with a base, and they have a dog, actually Daniel's dog named Pablo. And um, I see myself as, you know, a dog lover, and dogs always love me, except Pablo doesn't. And, and I do my best. I get down small, trying to get underneath him. I say, come on, Pablo, and, and he turns his head the other way. I don't even have the power to convince a dog I don't have the ability to lead a dog, let alone people. If there's anything that comes out of our ministry, it is not because I'm a gifted speaker. It's because it's God who speaks his glory into us. It's not because the pastors have some great strategy. It's, it's not because the elders are leading us with great skill. It's not because of the director's ministry or of some charismatic departing pastor. It is Christ himself who is doing his good work in and through you. Can you imagine in a city like Ephesus, there were many gods. Many gods. But only one Lord. And his name was Caesar. What kind of transformational courage would it take from those Ephesian Christians to declare Jesus is Lord? Like it's safer for you. You're in Singapore. You're not saying Jesus is prime minister. I mean, that would be risky. But if Nero is Lord and you're saying no Jesus is, that costs you something. You see, something had happened in their hearts. They just weren't only granted peace. They were granted a new kingdom citizenship. So then, verse 19 says, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. Sherry and I have a dear friend. His name is Moby. He lives in a culture that doesn't allow him freedom to choose his own faith. His faith comes to him by legacy of his birth. If you are his ethnicity, then you are also his faith. You don't have the freedom to change it unless Jesus finds you as he did find Moby. And for two years, he endured re-education camp for over 20 years, he and his family were harassed and threatened. And finally, when all attempts to get him to renounce his faith failed, they gave him a new IC. Now his IC under ethnicity says, other. It's no longer citizenship. It's permanent resident. Oh, no, he's not stateless. He is not stateless. He's a fellow citizen with the saints, and he has joyfully embraced that change in his status. Now, some of you sitting here, 
are the precious holders of the most powerful passport in the world. What if your faith required you to give it up? Would you? Could you? Is that the kind of gospel transformation? Now hear me. Our Lord commands that we honor secular authorities. But would you give it up if that was the price? Would you be willing to be called other? Moby is grateful to be called other. A fellow citizen. I remember I used to be called names. Maybe probably still am. My, my brother and I were the only white boys in 1969 at St. Thomas School for Boys in Kuching. And I can say, can I say this? Chinese have a lot of names for people. At first, I didn't know what they were. But then some helpful friends told me what I mean. Oh, you red, red-haired dog? White ghost? Orang Balanda? Even borrow somebody else's language. Call me monkey. Long nose. I say, have you not seen my nose? It's not even proper white man's nose. It's just a little one. You know, I heard that all the time in school, in the playground, in our taman. And then, I, I, by the way, I need to tell Josh it wasn't your dad. Josh is the son of one of my childhood friends in our church in Kuching, and, and it wasn't your dad. He never called me names. So I made a friend one day in school, a friend who had the gift of mercy. He, he wanted to help me, you know, settle in. And um, so he said to me, hey, I know not Farah. So I teach you some names. You call us. Give chance. See, this, this young friend, he had the gift of mercy. But he had no power to make me an insider. He just weaponized my language. So, so that's why, you know, I'm very good at bad language. He couldn't make me a member of the nation. Only Christ can do that. Only Christ can make us one people. Only he can gather us together. You know, I, I need to wind this down. Uh, move the slide, Kaiman. Just help me. Help me move forward. He makes us not just citizens with the saints. He makes us one family in Christ through him. This is an old picture before we rebuilt. This is when we could smile and shake hands and didn't have to wear a mask. The blood of Christ who brings us near has gathered us not into just one kingdom citizenship. He has made us family in one kingdom household. This is fascinating to me, this Martin Luther King Jr. 
It's a revolutionary, dangerous thinking. In 1967, as the world was increasingly able to have global communication, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., a young African-American preacher, said this, through our scientific and technological genius, we have made this world a neighborhood. But then he said, and yet it is only through the work of Christ that our neighborhood becomes a brotherhood. Do you know how dangerous this sentiment was in the 60s in America? That a black man could dream of being one family with his white neighbors? It's revolutionary, and yet this is what God does in and through us. We are not the same. I, I don't know if you've noticed this, but there's new people who are joining us. They're, they're not from our people. They're not from our church. They're not from our family or our tribe or our clan, but they have been gathered by the grace of God. They've been transformed by the peace that he has forged for them on the cross. And now their allegiance to him is greater than any allegiance they have to color or culture. Because Christ has made us, is making us family. Verse 20 says this. We are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself is the cornerstone. Excuse me, you remember <clears throat> talking about the cornerstone. It's the largest stone, the first stone, cut carefully because every stone laid after that will follow the shape and the contour of that stone. We need to get this clear that Grace Baptist Church is shaped and contoured not after the personality of the departing pastor or the skills and passions of the elders or the ministry of our directors. It's shaped and contoured. You are shaped and contoured after the Lord himself. He is our cornerstone. He shapes us. He sharpens us. He makes us after himself. And in verses 21 and 22, Paul is not done. In whom the whole structure being joined together, meaning Jesus is the cosmic concrete that holds us up. He is the one who strengthens our seams and keeps us together. He is growing us into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, there it is again, in him, in Christ, you are being built together into a dwelling place of your God. That is why it doesn't matter if you're near or far. That is why it doesn't matter if you're gathered here or you're gathered around YouTube. He is making us a holy temple, a worthy residential palace for the Most High King of creation. We don't come to this church. We are the church that gathers by his grace in this building. There is nothing holy about this space. He makes us holy by creating in us a worthy place for him to reside. You will take him from this place as you go. You cannot run from his presence. There he is 
because of Christ's death, we can enjoy peace with God, ourselves, and each other. So as we close this, let me just ask this really difficult question. What are you remembering? What, what is the thing that keeps you up at night? What is the thing that your thoughts constantly gravitate toward? You remembering that petty insult that somebody made? Somebody offended you and you cannot let it go. Friend, repent of that. Just repent. Let him change your mind to remember the price he paid for peace. To make you a citizen of his kingdom. To make us all together one family. And then how in this specific day, during this difficult grace of global pandemic, when we now see perhaps, perhaps, another small surge. How are you seeking to celebrate the unusual grace of being a part of God's gathered church? It's not that you have to be here. You might be gathering here or gathering around your YouTube channel, but how are you celebrating this? Can I just say this on my way out? Sherry and I have never been anywhere as amazing as Singapore. And yet, there doesn't seem to be much joy in Singapore. But is there some, like, secret pride? Yeah, yeah, there is. But where is the joy for the price paid for the founding and building of this amazing place. How well organized. How it is now the safest place in the world. I can't even lose my phone here. People, you people keep chasing me down. Sir, 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 you left your phone on the bus. You would rather let the bus leave you and return my phone. This is a safe place. Where is the joy? This is a safe place. How are you celebrating? Where's the joy of remembering what God has done on the cross at Calvary to bring us peace, to make us one, to lend us kingdom citizenship and make us one holy family? I've never been anywhere that celebrates family like Singaporeans do. Honestly, doing marriage counseling in Singapore, which we've done a lot, premarital counseling, I, I've never had to counsel young couples in Canada, Malaysia, anywhere. You need to calendar now two wedding, or sorry, two family dinners every week. Never had to do that before. This nation values family. I've never had to counsel people when they're budgeting. Now you need to decide how much to give your parents who don't need it, but you know, it's something that you do because family's important. So how do we value family here? The, the gifts 
we give is, is not out of our bank account, but the gift of strengthening speech, life-giving speech, gospel behaviors. How do we love one another well? How do we maintain what God has done here at the price of his own son? It is precious. You are precious. I want to invite you to bow with me for just a moment. As we come to the end of this moment together, I, I wonder if you suddenly realize, I, I remember too much and yet not enough. This, this time is, is really not between you and I. It's just you and the one who loves you better than I, beyond imagination. The one who has noticed you and is for you. Do you joyfully remember the price he embraced to bring you near, to give you access to the Father through his Spirit? Would you in this brief moment express your joy and gratitude to this living Lord? And maybe you might be sitting here or perhaps watching online and you suddenly realize, whoa, I'm, I'm actually not even near. I'm way far off. Well, friend, then this is good news. This is the sparkling diamond in the black velvet of your life. God has noticed you. And while you may be on your way to somewhere else, he is meeting you here in this moment. If you would turn and pause, if you would recognize that all the infrastructure of support you have built around you is fragile and failing, if you would see in him a savior, he would embrace you. He comes not to bring you religion, but to bring you peace and joy and life everlasting. This moment could be the beginning of a new eternity for you. If you would simply say, yes, God, I acknowledge it was for me that Christ died, not my unhappy neighbor, not my father who was unkind. It was for me. And I turn to you now. Receive me as your child. Bring me your peace. Lend me citizenship in your kingdom. And give me a family. Father God, we bless you that you are still the God who pursues those who are near and those who are far off. We bless you that you have made peace through the brokenness of Christ. You bring us life and give us access. We love you and we will remember. In Jesus' name, amen.